This is Diver, podcast about diversity, equity, and inclusion in special education research. I'm your host, Federico Weitler, associate professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago and board member of the Division of Research of the Council for Exceptional Children. Welcome, 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 welcome to our eighth episode of Dive In, a podcast about equity, diversity, and inclusion in special education research, a podcast sponsored by the Division of Research of the Council for Exceptional Children. Today, we have our winter holidays episode, uh, and to celebrate it, we have a fantastic interview with uh, Dr. Nathan Jones, the new commissioner of the National Center for special education research. Dr. Jones will be speaking about the uh, how the center will address issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion in research, uh, and also maybe giving some tips for those trying to seek funding through, through this agency. I encourage you to stay. It's very important information, a great interview, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, thank you, Nathan, uh, for being with us today and dive in. Thank you so much for having me. I, I is I'm, I'm really excited about this podcast that you're building and that CEC has and you have made space to make this happen. I've, I've really appreciated the episodes to date. Yeah, thank you very much. I know as a new commissioner, probably your time is uh it's 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 gold. Um, so let me start with a with a with a very simple question for our audience, for those who who may not be familiar with the National Center of Special Education Research. Uh, can you tell us what does the center do? What's the relation with IES? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with IES. So IES stands for the Institute of Education Sciences. Um, Nixer is one of the four centers um, within IES. But if I'm thinking about IES um, more generally, the charge of IES is it is it is tasked with being the independent research arm of the U.S. Department of Education. Um, this independent aspect is actually really important. The, the the focus or the goal is to ensure that as new presidential leadership comes in, that there is independence in terms of our pursuing our work independent of the whims of, of any president or, or leadership at the department. Um, we were founded in 2002, and when I say we, I mean IES, uh, as a new federal science agency that was to be devoted solely to education research. Um, Nixer was authorized in 2004 in addition to that founding legislation. Um, and so a couple things I think are worth noting. So, so one, um, Nixer's founding mission is is written out in legislation. You can pull up Ezra, mm -hmm. um, the the legislation that oversees um, our charge, and there is a very specific mission, and and it really is to sponsor research to expand knowledge and understanding on the needs of infants, toddlers, and children with disabilities. Um, to improve the developmental, educational, and transitional results of such individuals. Um, mm. in, in layman's terms, what, what that means is that we are really focused on promising programs, practices, and interventions um, for individuals with or at risk for disabilities from birth um, all the way through through adulthood. So we have a we have a pretty broad 
charge. We fund research in a number of different areas, but um, intentionally, uh, our, our focus is meant to kind of cover the full spectrum of development. Mm. Um, two things I think are worth noting, because it, it likely is going to shape other aspects of the conversation. Um, so I, I think it is worth noting that that Nixer has come to look a certain way over the last 20 years in terms of the kind of research that we typically support. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. So the first is that uh, in our legislation, there was a focus on scientific evidence. And, and we could have a whole conversation about what that means or whether that is the best way to approach the world. Um, but um, through our charge, there is a focus on measurable student outcomes and, and mm. investigating promising programs and practices that lead to improvements in student outcomes. So when you when you set the course that way and, and you describe it as measurable, it, it kind of sets in motion a certain kind of research. Mm -hmm. um, I think the other thing that's noteworthy is that we really prioritize causal methods and causal mm -hmm. research. Uh, so I, I what that has allowed us to do, I think, is over the last 20 years, I think it's indisputable that Nixer has had a transformative impact on the field in terms of um funding uh scholars from kind of uh, all throughout their careers to establishing and building a, a robust body of evidence around promising practices and and programs um but i think as as you can imagine that is that is an incomplete picture of the mm -hmm. field of special ed research and yeah. so um there are implications there and it's worth talking about further yeah, 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 I have some questions related to that. Now, when I was thinking of that, I mean, I think this this history of Nixer um, is probably tied to the legislation, right? This comes out, you say 2002, this comes out of the child, no child left behind, if I'm not mistaken, correct? And we had an emphasis on outcomes, uh, on academic outcomes, and an emphasis on evidence-based practice. So kind of the history of this center is tied to this historical piece of policy. Yeah, I mean, I think that is that is precisely correct. And I think also evident in that approach is that we are, by definition, a, a field-initiated organization, which means that um, as commissioner, I can't wave my wand and, and say, I want to fund this project, this project, and this mm -hmm. project. There is a real value in um, field-initiated review, which means that um, peer reviewers are sitting in rooms making determinations about grants, and, and ultimately yeah. it is it is the, the will of the reviewers that carries the day. Yeah. So let me get into a little bit of the topics of, of this podcast. Um, so how does Nixer plan to address issues of equity, diversity, and exclusion in special education research in, in the upcoming years? I mean, I think it's it's... It's an important question. It is a pressing question. It is one that is front and center on, on my mind. I, I will also say, just to start answering the question, that um, I think one of the things that I've been so thrilled about stepping into this role is um, having a team of program officers. We have seven. We are going on eight um, who are really dedica dedicated to the mission of Nixer. Um, mm. And I'll say that the reason I bring this up is because 
I think in most all of our conversations, these questions of equity, diversity, inclusion are, are front and center as we think about our priorities moving forward. Um, but let me talk about a few different things. I mean, I think the first and foremost is as a commissioner um, and as a commissioner overseeing a center focused on special education, I see responsibility as um, really carrying the flag for the needs of individuals with disabilities, right? And mm -hmm. what that means is that when I interact with the three other centers um, and when my staff interacts with the three other centers in IES and with the Department of Education, we are constantly reminding folks that um, kids with disabilities are, are not simply kids in special education, that so yeah. many have multiple identities and those identities overlap with the work of all of our centers and, and we have to remind people of that. And and, yeah. uh, and I think that is a necessary part of our work. Okay, so that's thing one. Um, I think thing two is that uh, an essential um, component of our work. I, I think where I would I, I would like us to go, and I think where we are spending a lot of time thinking about is over the last 20 years, Nixer has pursued a robust, strong program of research. Mm -hmm. It is hard for me to know off the top of my head whether the research we've conducted maps on to and serves the, the needs of the communities that we work with. Um, and, and I say communities, plural. Um, I think it is going to be essential for us to be, especially if we are prioritizing causal methods, which have a history of, of that is at, at times fraught. Um, mm -hmm. I think it is essential that if, the, if these are going to be the tools that we use um, in developing evidence, that we need to make real sure that um, we have a commitment to pursuing research that is in line with the priorities of the communities we work with. Mm. Um, so that is something that I think uh, for our individual grantees, but also for us as a center that we need to be doing all throughout the research process. So as we are talking about where we're going over the next five years, a first step in that question is, well, what questions should we be pursuing? Mm -hmm. I feel... As as a as a, like recognizing the the power that comes with being a a white cisgender male, like I recognize that me as commissioner determine like saying these are the three things that we want to prioritize. If that is not tethered in what we are hearing from the field mm -hmm. um, and from stakeholders, it it is um, it is perpetuating things that I think we would prefer not to. So. So that is thing one. I, I think we are really actively trying to make sure that in setting our course, that 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 course is really grounded in um, the needs of communities. Mm. And how how do you get to that? I mean, you how how do you get to to hear those needs that may shape the way that you you may you you know support calls for different research? Yeah. So you know we have we have a couple mechanisms that are at our disposal that are that are formal ones. Um, one of the things that we've done historically, we we have the, this mechanism called a technical working group, which is our mm -hmm. ability to bring people into a room together, um, either virtually or in person. Um, and and there it becomes incumbent to make sure like who, who's in that room, right? And, and being mm -hmm. really thoughtful and mindful about how we construct those spaces. More generally, um, 
one thing that IES has historically done is put out requests for information. So this mm-hmm. is just us soliciting information from the field. And, and there it is about how how well we do at broadcasting that message. If if we are um requesting information from the field and and the requests, you know, go to our various social media followings and friends and colleagues, I, I don't think that's accomplishing what I, I just tried to establish. So really there it's mm. about how do you broadcast in a way that actually goes beyond researchers, but instead is going to parents and families and, and the folks who have, I think, the the greatest stake in in what we do. Oh, that's, that's great. You know, I'm, I'm hearing you saying all this and I'm, I'm thinking, well, you just step in in this role. You know, I'm asking you uh, questions about equity, diversity, and inclusion, but you're stepping in in a very particular moment. I mean, as, as I said a few minutes ago, this uh, uh, funding came from uh, No Child Left Behind and therefore has uh, a very particular legacy from that uh, legislation. Things we've been debating about evidence-based practice, you know, uh, uh, privilege and causal effects. Uh, but now you walk in another very particular historical context in where there is a, a lot of resistance also for issues of equity and diversity of inclusion. So, so how how this is, does it shape? Does it permeate into the Nixer? How how do do you see this this shaping the the work of the center? I I mean, this is one that I think it's a great question, and I'm still navigating. Right. Um. I I am sure my my program officers at times will tell me I I step in it publicly or, or I'm saying things I'm I'm not allowed to say or not allowed to say, but like things that um we have to be really mindful of. Right. We we have a responsibility to um to be an independent arm of the Department of Education. And that independence is something that we have to make sure that in our public statements, we are not um, we are not opening ourselves up to criticism or uh, potential loss of funding. Um, mm. Funding has always been something that is front and center in conversations around Nixer. We are a small shop. I'm not allowed to advocate um, directly around our funding situation, but others can. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I really in that way have to be an ambassador for the work, but but a, a, a careful one. Yeah, no, I imagine it's like uh, walking in tiptoes. Exactly. Around glass. Um, can I can I share just a couple more of of kind of what I think are our efforts uh, around equity, diversity, and inclusion? That, that absolutely, are yeah, that please, yeah. So, so I think a second one. You know, I I, I want to be mindful of also what I see as changes on the ground within our the the special ed community, and you know, I think there is for a long time been a strong push, but I feel like it is growing among the research community to ensure that our work um, includes the voices of individuals with disabilities themselves, right? Mm. That feels essential. Um, So as part of us saying that um, we want to prioritize grounding our research in the needs of communities, you know, in addition to families and educators, I think People with disabilities are are one of those communities, and it is a a, a broad umbrella for many different communities. So, um, 
what that looks like, I think, is both in that mission setting, being really intentional about building in voices from from people with disabilities, but also really putting this on researchers as well. You know, one mm-hmm. of the mechanisms we do have at our disposal that we've used in recent years is to require that grantees or encourage grantees to um, include data collection activities that that bring in voices from people with disabilities. So that Mm -hmm. is a lever that we can use to make sure that we're kind of doing justice to including folks. Um, But also then thinking about um, one of our missions is around training. And not only do we sponsor research, but we also sponsor training efforts. And so thinking Mm -hmm. about whether or not um, we can be intentional about increasing the number of researchers uh, with disabilities that are out in our field and that are are supported through Nexer funding. So um, I'm not suggesting any specific mechanisms, but in terms of a priority, certainly that's something we're interested in. Um, but then the last thing I'll say is um, that I think we have to be cognizant of who we're funding, both in terms of uh, mm-hmm. researchers, but also institutions. And so we are moving in the direction of really trying to be as transparent as possible um, and making information public and routinely public around who we're funding, both in terms of institutions uh, and grantees. And then thinking about, are there uh, ways we can reduce barriers to uh, application that would ensure that we broaden who we are able to fund? Hmm. Those are great, great points. And I'm sure people, many people are very excited about these this, uh, new initiatives of, of the center. Um, you know, all these initiatives also makes me think a little bit of the uh, report from the National Academy of Science and Engineering and Medicine providing guidance on the future of educational research. Uh, we had our first podcast of our series in David was with Alfredo Artiles uh, talking about uh, this uh, report. They have very uh, explicit recommendations for uh, diversity and inclusion, also the inclusion of different methods. Uh, but I know you also was part of this uh, report. So has this report kind of shaped the work that you're bringing to, to the center? It's a, it is, yeah, it's a great question. And I am in this kind of funny spot of, um, you know, the, the, the IES had commissioned that report to inform um, potential directions for the next, you know, 20 years of, of research priorities within IES. Um, I was one of the committee members on that. And, and now I'm stepping into a role where, um, you know, at, at times, various folks have asked us how we are being responsive to, to the recommendations of the report. Um, so I, I will say that both as commissioner, but also as an author, but I'll I'll, I'll speak as commissioner, that I, um, what I really appreciate about that report is that it is highlighting some key challenges in our field and offering really uh, useful potential directions for us to go. I, when I read that, it, it there are many recommendations. Um, those recommendations, you know, some are contingent on additional funding, but some are ones that we could be implementing in the more short term. But when I read that report, the really the key message that I hear is this question of um, of is is research being used right? Mm. So we are really good at. Um, at funding and developing and testing 
promising practices and programs in education research. I, I can think of countless grantees who have done tremendous work in um, generating knowledge. Mm -hmm. It remains to be seen just how effective we are in bridging that knowledge production to research use, right? So mm -hmm. the, the one of the key uh, areas of focus in that report is around knowledge mobilization, right? Ensuring mm -hmm. that when you are producing research, that research finds its way into practice. Um, this is not an IES-specific challenge. I think across the board in education, there are so many factors that make it really difficult to think about how we get research into schools. Mm -hmm. um, but it is one that, when I look at that report, that is that is the front and center message, um, at least mm -hmm. to my mind. And and then some of the recommendations in the report are kind of in in service of that, right? So one is really focused on um, at the at the forefront, really collecting, engaging communities in the research process. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I spoke to that a little bit earlier in our conversation. Yeah. And then I think it's all throughout the way, learning from the knowledge production, uh, synthesizing that, thinking about more research that's needed, and then kind of developing this continuous cycle of hearing from communities feeding information to communities, responding to them, and kind of doing so in 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 more true partnership. Um, mm -hmm. And and so I think, you know, that report is being taken seriously at the department and at IES, and uh, that focus on knowledge utilization is something that is front and center for us. And, and, mm -hmm. I, and I will say, um, just on that front, that, you know, the, the report is really focusing on Nixer, and NCER, which is our sister research agency within IES, the National Center for Ed Research. But one of the big mechanisms we do have at our disposal is NCEE, -E -E, um, which focuses on evaluation. And so mm -hmm. NCEE historically has um, really been a supportive partner in this process of trying to mobilize a knowledge as we produce it. Hmm, that's that's very interesting. Now, one of the things also that that I, it took my attention in the report is also, which is related also to applicability. I think uh, I think highly aligned to 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 um, implementing uh, the knowledge that we're producing, which is the the diversification of methods and and paradigms or uh, theoretical frameworks that we also bring to the the table. I know. As we mentioned before, Nixer has tended to focus on very quantitative capsule effects, um, and you know has in the website a very specific statement about about that about important issues by implementing large scale focus programs. Does uh, the center uh, uh, plans to support or 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 there is some initiatives to support those who do qualitative or more uh, mixed methods work? You know, so the the formal answer, the the, the easy answer, is that um, we have always endorsed and 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 off uh, suggested our support for for mixed methods research. Mm -hmm. um, it is it has historically been there have been fewer opportunities for purely qualitative work, mm -hmm. um, but I think a focus on qualitative work alongside. Um, quantitative work is something that has been 
supported with there there are really strong examples of um i think there are fewer examples than i think either one of us would like mm-hmm. i i think the the more complicated answer is that i you know and and is probably a theme running through many of the podcasts you've done is that um these methodological uh spaces are wrapped up in a whole bunch of other stuff right mm. and um and that stuff is often epistemological it is often around kind of the roles of communities in research and voices in research and um so what i would love to say is i would really encourage um a much wider wider range of researchers to consider nixer mm-hmm. but i think part of that consideration is recognizing the um not constraints recognizing the kind of the the terrain in which we are working in nixer right which is prioritizing a certain kind of causal research um as that is not the only way of knowing, but it is one that must be in conversation with other mm-hmm. residents. And and so, um, I so what would it actually look like? I mean, this is this is a hard question, and it's one that I do not think the field of special ed research has done a good job grappling with. Is mm. is how do we think about um, how do we think about different ways of knowing within the same space? And mm. how you know, and so if you're going to do mixed methods research, what I wouldn't want is that um, no, not that I wouldn't want. I think the most likely version you would see come through our doors and be successful getting through uh, the review process would be the qualitative work, work that um, you know maybe it's a qualitative researcher who surrounds themselves with a lot of quantitative researchers and is kind mm-hmm. of the safe, the safe, trusted qualitative researcher. Um, that is all well and good, but I think what I would really encourage and I and is hard is is for for communities within special ed to make explicit. I mean, I'm thinking about some of the words that I heard Mildred say in one of the previous podcasts, like be explicit about your ways of knowing and and how you're positioning yourself and your research, but then put that in conversation with other ways of knowing. Like, and mm. that process is personal that process is interpersonal it involves trust um it involves a time but i think is going to be essential like we we have much to lose as a field if we kind of take the reality that people have different spaces for publishing for getting grants for going to conferences and they do not have to be in conversation with each other and they can still be successful um that is the truth, but there's a real downside to that approach. And so um, I don't know the best way to encourage it. I'm three months in. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I would, you know, to the extent that we can really foster some shared conversation, I, I think it would enrich the kinds of grants that come through our door. Um, I-, I-, I absolutely think there is space and room for qualitative work like if we are not doing that kind of if that kind of work is not being done alongside these studies of promising practices and programs if we don't know why those things are successful or why they fail or why people value them or why they don't um it it does 
shortchange us in terms of the contribution we're able to make. So I I don't think those things inherently work across purposes, but it, it is it's an uphill battle and one that I think is worth fighting to try to figure out how how we can be in conversation. That was long winded. I apologize. No, that's I totally agree, and I hope I hope your work in Nixar can get to to some of those issues and creating those spaces where where people can come together to to have this conversation at least through research and and design. Um, and would this take us also to, to our next question, which is uh, what advice do you have for someone focusing on issues of equity, diversity and inclusion, special ed research who wants to pursue funding through Nixer? What kind of like quick advice would you have that person? For example, me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think my the first point of advice I would give would be to um, to. I think as a starting point, recognize the affordances and limitations of coming to Nixer versus other funding agencies. Mm -hmm. We are not omnipotent. We are not omnipotent. That's not the right word. We do not fund everything and we're not the only game in town, right? Mm -hmm. There could be cases where a place like NSF or a place like WT Grant or a place like Spencer is going to be a better fit for your work. So I think kind of understanding the terrain is is one thing I would say. Mm. I think step two, though, is if you are really interested in Nixer, which I think you should be, because I think it is a great funding mechanism and a great community, um, I would start with our program officers. So one of the benefits mm. of, of the approach that we have at Nixer versus a place like NSF or, or even NI, uh, not NIH, but NSF, is that... Um, our our program officers do not factor into the grant decision making process. They do not have a say in um, whether something gets funded. Now that limits us, right, from kind of um, moving and shaking. But what it does allow us to do is be very open around grantees and grantee support. Mm -hmm. And our program officers are really dedicated um, to working with potential grantees, helping them shape their proposals um, in ways that are going to be more likely to be successful. So I would definitely turn to those people. You know, they are available on our website. You can always mm -hmm. contact me and I'll put you in touch with the right person. Um, so that is that is one thing that I would say. Um, you know, I would also say, I've got two others. So, so one other thing I would say is, be be persistent. I mean, if you are signing up for this, if you are signing up for proposing to Nixer and IES, much like other agencies, not everything gets grant funded the first time through. And that's just yeah. one of our realities we work in. And so persistence pays off. Um, I would say the other thing, the last thing I'll say is that um, I would say somebody... I, I would find folks that have had success in the past. You know, mm. some of this is about putting together proposals in ways that kind of look and feel like what is expected. And it can be really hard for somebody who's never done that before to to, to kind of get it right. And so um, maybe, you know, versus your first time out of the gates going it alone, I think strategically, you you know, you might be better off trying to find a, a trusted colleague who you yeah. might be able. To. No, that's a great advice. Let me summarize this very first. This advice, see if I got it right. First, check if Nixer is a good venue for you. There's a lot of 
different funding sources. So check if that uh, uh, fits your uh, research needs. Contact the officer, uh, a program officer. Um, be persistent because you won't most likely won't get funded the first time. I mean that happens to all of us, and keep uh, shaping and perfecting the the research design, and then uh, try to to partner with people more experienced too. I would say, right? Um, try to to partner with people that have uh, that can help you uh, enrich and and strengthen your proposal. Well, that's that sounds exact. That sounds great. Yeah, right. So here we have perfect uh, for advice. I, I think I'm gonna. Write it down after this this meeting for our, my next proposal. So this is my last two questions, and it's the same questions that I ask every single in, uh, guest. Uh, the first one is, can you give three quick, brief pieces of advice uh, for those special education scholars who wants to foreground equity and justice in their research? Yeah, I you know, um, I think piece of advice one is is don't shy away from that that desire to to center equity and, and diversity in your work mm -hmm. um i i think that for many years the field of special education has been very campy and we have mm -hmm. little sub communities and um i really think it is important to push these questions into some sort of main conversation and to kind of be bridging across communities so i would not I would not shy away from that voice. I would I would leverage it and and really prioritize using it. Um, I think thing two, which is a little related, maybe it's overlapping with that last one, is um, you know I I really I, I would really encourage folks to read broadly and have conversations broadly. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was trained by a sociologist, um, Barbara Schneider, and somebody who focused on teachers and Peter Young's. Um, so I have always kind of had this weird positioning within the special ed community. I, I did not, um, I have for a long time focused on educators. I have um, done work in measurement spaces and it has made it challenging to kind of make sense of all of that, but I also think it has really enriched the way that I, I approach work. Um, there's a there's a piece that I would I don't know if I'm at the point where I should be recommending articles, but there's this um, a, a piece by Sfard, I believe is the way you pronounce it from uh, on on the value of more than one metaphor. Um, mm. yeah. And I think it's an it's an older piece. I think it's 1999. Um, could be 1989. Um, but what I think is really valuable about the perspective in that piece, and it's one that I've tried to carry forward in my work, is is kind of acknowledging that each way of of knowing and approaching learning or approaching what we do has affordances and limitations. And ultimately, the work is better for having multiple metaphors being engaged in, in the work. Mm. Um, so I, I, I think, so how do you do that? How do you how do you foster that use of multiple ways of knowing? I think the front and center in that approach is really being in conversation who with folks who, you know, maybe who are who exist in entirely different spaces within the special ed community 
um, yeah. it, or or who exist in entirely different educational spaces. Yeah. I just think that conversation. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think in the in the special ed community, I think it's changing. I, I totally, I think in 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 my short career, I mean, I, uh, I would say uh, I don't know, fifteen, seventeen years that I've been on this, um, I, I've seen a change. But I think that there's a lot of need still to have conversations with people in other fields, like sociology, as you say, anthropology, uh, uh, political science. Uh, I think there is there's still a lot of need for that. I think we've been in certain aspects we've been a kind of a nice not an isolated field, but we've been we've been protecting too much ourselves. I think uh, and and not in ourselves to to expand our knowledge and our methods with with other uh, with other communities. So here's my last question, and I will let you go. Um, uh, where would you like to see special education research in five years in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion? I think it's a great question. Um, I, I think generally where I would like us to be in five years is I, I would like a, a broader set of voices to be um, doing the research. I would like um, a broader set of institutions to be, and I'm wearing my hat of of somebody who funds institutions and, and grantees, mm -hmm. I, I would like a broader set of institutions being the ones doing work. Um, and I would, I think our pathway to impact um, is, is through doing research that matters, that mm -hmm. maps onto what communities value is important. Um, I would also say that um that more different kinds of evidence enrich work. And that mm -hmm. is a message both to, I think, our, our qualitative researchers who I think would stand to benefit from being in conversation with folks who do, you know, work from positive, positivist perspectives. Um, but I think the vice versa is true as well. That I think folks who are kind of in the causal domain there's a lot to be learned from from folks who are doing work in other spaces. And so if I was looking five years down the road, um, what I would love to see is that, that studies that are being proposed from the onset are, are leveraging multiple tools to tell a rich story that is mm -hmm. based in really strong evidence and how people define evidence and strong evidence. Um, is is multifaceted. Thank you so much, Nader. I mean, one of the things that you say just just always resonates with me. The issue of stories. I think bottom line, we have we need better, more nuanced, more detailed, and and more rich stories so we can understand and 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 act better to to uh, uh, improve special education in terms of equity and diversity. Well, thank you so much for our interview today. I wish you the best best luck in your new position as commissioner and look forward to see what uh, you do at the center. Thanks so much. I, I appreciate you making the space for the conversation. Take care. Thank you for listening to our episode. I hope you learned as much from the interview as I did. This episode was produced by me, Federico Vaitoller, Tasia Gonzalez, and Haya Abdelatif. Please, if you like this the podcast, subscribe, and please tell your friends about it. See you next time.